Whether the action is at the link or the bank, there's never an off day on Broad Street. It's the biggest news of the day, every day, with takes from someone who's never short on them. It's WIP Daily with Joe Giglio. Welcome on in, WIP Daily. Appreciate everyone watching, subscribing, listening to the show. Of course, you can tell today I'm not in the Elvis room, as I usually am when we do our video podcast. I am sitting in a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia, about, I don't know, three or four miles away from the Odyssey Studios. I'll be on for the midday show coming up at 10 a.m. And back to Truist Park tonight. What an incredible Philadelphia sports weekend. Tucker Begg will join me in a few minutes to talk about everything that went on this weekend with, with the Phillies and the Eagles. But we start with the Phillies, and then we'll get to the Eagles, which feels almost crazy because they're 5-0. and And once again, doing what they did most of last year, which is bludgeon teams with a combination of force and sports. We'll get to them. But the Phillies on Saturday night. I mean, that is a, it's a series-changing victory. It is a National League-changing victory. The Phillies are now the favorite to represent the National League in the World Series. And that game on Saturday was one of the most one of the best masterclasses of managing we'll ever see by Rob Thompson. Just brilliant managing. I thought it was so interesting after the game, listen to Topper and the players talk about it, that everyone was kind of in on the idea that they were going to be really short with Ranger. I mean, they were going to treat it almost like a bullpen game or a game seven kind of game, even though it was game one. And even though he was pitching well, that was the plan. And the plan was executed. And I, I think the combination of Rob Thompson's ability to have some emotional intelligence there to tell everyone but Rangers so they didn't slump their shoulders. Ranger Suarez, after the game, said it was better. He didn't know, so he didn't pitch differently. And it worked. I mean, the buttons just worked. Pitcher after pitcher come out of that bullpen from Hoffman. You throw Dominguez in there, who was a little shaky, but got it done. Even, I mean, the eighth and ninth to be Strom and, and Kimbrell and to get the job done. And, of course, Ryan Kirkering. To shut that team down for nine full innings is nothing short of remarkable. They hadn't been shut out in a game at home since 2021. I think it was the Giants that year did it to them. That team won 107 games with great pitching. So, I mean, it's it's not just rare. It's almost impossible to shut down this Braves offense and to do it here in Atlanta at Truist Park. I'll tell you, just from being at the stadium, being on the concourse, standing room, talking to people, you know, just observing Braves fans, some commenting at me because I'm wearing my Phillies overalls. They are not happy right now. Like, they, And, of course, they're not. They're down 0-1. But even through the course of that game, you could feel there's a tightness to the Braves. There's a tightness to the Braves fans. There's a tightness in that building. There's not a confidence of a team that bludgeoned opponents all year. And now you look forward to tonight, game number two with Zach Wheeler. The Phillies can put the hammer down and effectively end the series. I mean, that, that that's it. The way I view this is the Phillies have to be up 2-1 now after three. You know, a sweep, obviously would be wonderful and let's move on and get to the NLCS. But that is the whole objective. It's the whole goal. Be up 2-1 after three and the Phillies are going to win this series. Now, if things go haywire and it goes the other way, all of a sudden they'd be back in trouble. But that's it. And they have two cracks at this starting tonight with Zach Wheeler on the mound. And Wheeler has been so dominant, so good. And you just trust him to pitch well. Look, will he throw a shutout tonight against the Braves? Probably not. They're probably going to get some runs. But I trust Zach Wheeler to keep the game close. And we'll see if the Phillies could tee off on Max Fried, who's had a blister issue, hasn't pitched in a while. It's the, all the pressure now, all the pressure goes to the Braves. There's, tonight is totally house money for the Phillies. Whatever they do it, however they do it, is house money. A couple other big facets that game on Saturday. What an incredible at-bat by Bryson Stott. They're all incredible in the postseason. He just has, he has championship at-bats. 
The home run by Bryce Harper, which is eerily similar to the one he hit here in Atlanta off of uh, Strider in September. Just crushed that ball. He just really has become the new Mr. October. And then defensively, the play in the eighth inning, the double play by Trey Turner. If the Phillies win it all, that will be looked at as one of the premier plays in Phillies history. Trey has had Trey had a weird first season. He was, he was bad. I mean, I, I, I still feel comfortable saying that. He was bad for the first four months. Then he played like an MVP in August and September. And I, I wonder, like, what are, how are we going to remember this Trey Turner season? Now, he's come in the postseason, and he's been on fire again. He's hit very well in the three games so far, stealing bases. But that play on Saturday, that now, in my mind, is the signature play of Trey Turner's Phillies career. It's more than the home run against the Royals after the standing ovation that Friday night. It's more than all the home runs in, in August, September. It's that play. Because the one thing Trey Turner has not, you know, he was cold and he was hot at the plate. But as a hitter this year, I mean, as a fielder this year, he hasn't been great. I mean, it actually has been below average. He has over, he had 12 or 20 errors. And maybe you could pick out like three or four defensive plays that he made. So like, that's, that's good. He had really hadn't had a wow moment in the field. And that was considering the stakes, considering how fast that ball got to him, that was a wow moment in the field on Saturday night. And then let's not just not you know forget to give credit here to Bryson Stott because that was an incredible relay. I mean, he had to get a lot on that to get that over for the double play. There was a sense here and – I know it's happening across baseball now with the 1-1 twin series against the Astros, a 1-0 series in Los Angeles with the Diamondbacks blowing the doors off the Dodgers. And then, of course, 0-2, the Orioles are down. That there's something to this. Two years in a row that the team has the layoff, struggles out of the gate in the division series. And if you struggle out of the gate in a five-game series, you're in big trouble. I think there's something to it. But at the same time, like the, these teams have to stop thinking about this. Like the Bra- It's clearly in the Braves' heads, the layoff. They changed their lineup. The crowd was very tense in, in, in Atlanta. And it just feels like the Phillies have something on this Braves team. Like not over 162, but over a short series when, when the money's on the line, it feels like the Phillies just have something. I know mean, you throw the catcher interference in there and the crowd throwing stuff on the field. I, I can't wait to be back at Truist tonight just to feel the atmosphere because I'm I'm sensing, I'm guessing they're gonna be really tense in that building. If the players are against a pitcher like Zach Wheeler, man, they're going to be in some trouble. But I just, I'm still in awe, Tucker, a couple of days later at the the managerial moment for Rob Thompson on Saturday. That took some stones, not just to do it, but to execute it. And then it worked. Like it worked. You couldn't have done it any better than he did it on Saturday. No. And I don't think it hit me until Sunday morning, really. I had Saturday night, I think we were all kind of caught up in it. I think everybody, myself included, when he took Ranger Suarez out after three and two-thirds, kind of rolled our eyes. Like, really? This is what we're doing? And it was a high-wire act for five and a third innings. And you go back, and when I woke up Sunday morning, I went and I rewatched the condensed game that they put on the MLB app, like the 15-minute the highlight package. And Rewatched it, it hit me. Like my, I don't think I've ever seen a Phillies manager pull it off. Like I, I tweeted, you know, the next morning, it might have been the greatest managerial performance we've seen from a Phillies manager. Maybe you know, from a manager in Philadelphia since Connie Mack started Howard Emke in Game One of the Twenty Nine World Series. Like that, that's in my mind, like it's a historic performance. And you add in what, what Trey Turner did. I mean, that diving play and that double play. Like I, I thought Stott had no shot. At Ozzy Albies. I mean, he's a fast runner. He stole, I think, 25, 30 bases this year. The fact that they were able to get enough on that throw and, and you know, turn that double play, 
I mean, it's it was a game where they didn't score any runs. The Braves are shut out. It should have kind of been a stress-free game. Of, hey, you know, maybe the, the first couple against the Marlins were, but my goodness, the way they, you know, worked around that Braves lineup, the way they played the matchups from innings three onward, the way Rob Thompson – from the preparation to, you know, not telling Ranger Suarez at the beginning to the execution and, and making sure every single guy from Hoffman through Kimbrell was kind of put in a situation to be successful against the pocket, uh, a pocket of the lineup that they were comfortable facing. It was unbelievable. Like I just can't think of a Phillies win where the number one reason they won is the manager. I can't either. No. And I, it, to watch it play out in real time, to watch Rob Thompson do it and the reaction of everyone there, because when it happened, it's like they're pulling Ranger now. How are they going to get through all these innings? I think we all had that skepticism, but then you watch it play out inning after inning after inning, and it worked. Rob Thompson's an awesome manager. He really is. And, and Saturday night, I felt like it was a, a, a sea change in this team can win the World Series, too. This team really might win the World Series. Like, we're there now. And the Phillies have to go out and knock the Braves out. Incredible game two tonight at Truist Park. And then the other part of an incredible Philadelphia sports weekend was the Eagles on Sunday. Hugh Douglas and I watched it at an Eagles bar in Atlanta, which was which was really fun to watch. And t- tons of people. There. I couldn't believe how many people were there. And it was a party-like atmosphere. And, it, look, it wasn't easy early. The Rams moved the ball early. But a couple things stood out to me about the Eagles win. One, great adjustments by Sean Desai in the second half. The defense really changed in the second half and shut down the Rams. They didn't score a point after halftime. That drive before the half by Hurts, the catch by A.J. Brown, we swung the momentum of the game, and the Eagles never give it back. The Eagles do not play pretty football. Sometimes, obviously, the tush-push has been one of the least pretty plays in the NFL. But, boy, are they effective, and they are smart, and they just they just dominate physically. It, it's interesting. You know, the Eagles have a, a quarterback who is – a dual threat in that he could throw the ball very beautifully down the field, but he's also as good a power runner at the position as we've seen since Cam Newton. And it's like the Eagles take on his personality. They just, they, they can do it pretty or they could just bludgeon you. And yesterday just felt like they just bludgeoned the Rams. Like both teams went to overtime a week ago and you knew someone was going to wear down the second half of the game because that history of the NFL is if you play in overtime the week before you are really bad against the spread the next week. And, and it, I think it's pretty obvious to figure out you're just worn down. You just physically you're worn down. That extra quarter does matter in, in a in an NFL season. Well, both teams were off overtime. And as the Eagles just played keep away in the second half and just had these long sustained drives, you could see it on the just when you, the cameras showed the Rams defenders, they're out of gas. I mean, they are totally out of gas. And the Eagles just kept running play after play after play. First down at first down, 13 to 18 on first down. It's a big day. I know the red zone issues are still there for the Eagles. Every week there's a new issue. It's like, well, Jalen hurts his legs. Well, then they they emerge. Where's Dallas Goddard? Well, then they emerge. Now it's the red zone. They'll probably fix that. Defensive backfield. I mean, there's names back there that you're like, really? Mario Goodrich, Eli Ricks? They're getting torched in the first half. Yet they're 5-0. and oh. You know, every issue the Eagles have, they seem to cover it up with another victory. And – the way they did it yesterday was was really impressive because that first half, it looked like a shootout. And with the way the Eagles are on defense right now, a shootout was going to be a problem because if they have to have a ton of possessions on each side, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to work out their way. I thought they'd lose this game. But credit to Nick Sirianni, credit, credit to Jalen Hurts for changing the game, 
not making it a shootout game because they're, they limited possessions. I mean, the Rams really didn't have many possessions in this game. You, know, you could have that last one towards the end when they got the ball back. But for real, they didn't really have that many possessions. And, I mean, some guys just played a whale of a game. Jalen Hurts, whale of him. He did the interception in the front court of the end zone, and they have to clean that up because I don't think he had his fourth interception till maybe the Bears game last year. So the interceptions are too many early in the season. But, again, a second straight game, I thought, throwing the football – he was on point. That touchdown pass to Dallas Goddard in the first quarter, I mean, that's high-level quarterback play. The way he kind of moved the safety there and then threw it in a spot in between two defenders where it looked maybe a little behind Dallas, but I thought it was in the right spot. Best game by far for Jalen Hurts running the football. A.J. Brown continues to be as good of a receiver as there is in the NFL. That guy is a just a monster. Goddard got going. And then, I mean, how many good things could we say about Jalen Carter? I, just he played yesterday 70% of the snaps. So clearly, on a week they didn't have Fletcher Cox, they have injuries at defensive tackle. You wondered, okay, how is that going to affect the young guys? They're probably going to have to play more. 70% of the snaps for Jalen Carter. He's on the field the whole time. And he is there. At times, you look up and you say, he's their best defensive player. Forget defensive lineman. I know Reddick had a big day yesterday with a couple sacks, but Jalen Carter at times looks like the best defensive player on a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. That's how good this guy is. What a remarkable stroke of genius to trade the pick two years ago by how he get another first-round pick from the Saints, but also luck that he was there for them in the NFL draft. The Eagles are not perfect, but there's only another one perfect team in the NFL, and that's the 49ers. They'll see each other in early December. And right now the Eagles have a two-game cushion on the Cowboys. They have – I'm not going to call it a breather game, but in a game where they should win again on Sunday against the Jets, against Zach Wilson. And then the real test will start coming. But you couldn't have scripted a better start for the Eagles considering all the change at offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, all the defections on defense. We knew they had to get off to a good start. I thought 4-1, and 5-1 and one through the first six was, was what they needed to be. And they've basically already done that because they're 5-0. and oh. I think they're going to get to 6-0 and oh by beating the Jets on Sunday. You know, this – there's still stuff to clean up, but Tucker, to be 5-0 and and to be as good as they are when you could tell it's still not where it needs to be, it just shows how good the Eagles are. All they do is win. It's unbelievable. I mean, and, and Jalen Hurts is, what, 22 of his last 23 starts uh, as the Eagles quarterback. And, I mean, they've had the best record in the NFL since the beginning of last season, right? Like that's 23 straight weeks of the NFL that the Eagles have been at the top or tied the best record in the NFL. I mean, you mentioned Jalen Carter. I mean, the kid's unbelievable. Whatever you thought he could be coming out of Georgia, and, and there were a lot of people who said he was the best player in the draft and the most talented player, and he should have gone, you know, number one overall or maybe, you know, at least the top non-quarterback picked. What we saw from him on Sunday, like, they lost Javon Hargrave, who had double-digit sacks and might have been the best interior defensive lineman pass rusher last year. I think Jalen Carter might be better than he was a year ago. I mean, what he does on a snap-to-snap basis where he just obliterates uh, opposing offensive linemen and whether he's getting double-teamed or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, the Eagles played against Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was on the field yesterday. And I think if you ask anybody who watched the game, Aaron Donald wasn't the best defensive lineman on the field. Like, like that's where we're at with Jalen Carter so far. And the fact that Jalen Hurts looks a lot like the Jalen Hurts from last year I thought yesterday was a really encouraging sign for the Eagles. You still have a lot of things to clean up. The red zone offense is still a bit of a train wreck. But for a team that keeps saying, well, you know, as long as we keep winning, we're fine. And I think they're making enough progress in these areas that they've struggled with for most of the year that 
I think you can take it at face value. I think you can say, well, even though, you know, this isn't still working and they struggled with this and, you know, this position group needs to get it together. The fact that they're still winning and they're still making progress at other spots. I have little doubt right now that come, you know, November, December, they're going to be at the top of the NFC. You add in the fact that Dallas lost and you look ahead at who Dallas has on the schedule the next three weeks, that, that third game being the Eagles. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but the Eagles could have the division wrapped up by like Thanksgiving at this point. If things t- uh, continue to trend downward for the Cowboys, given the schedule they have. Yeah. And with the way Dak Prescott is playing, and he's had two just disaster of games. I mean, if he plays like that, the Cowboys have no chance to win this division. And Tucker said, we don't have to get ahead of ourselves. It's going to be hard not to. And I know the Eagles have the Cowboys. They have the Chiefs. They have the Bills before this. But just just look at December 3rd. Then the 49ers right now are playing historic football. They, they look like the kind of team that just reels off a 14 or 15 or 16 win season. That, I mean, they have 30 points in every game. You look at the teams that have done that through the first five games of a year, four of the five have played in a Super Bowl. Like, they look incredible with Brock Purdy and all those playmakers. And you look at the schedules, I'm not sure the Niners lose before they get here, maybe once. You look at the Eagles' schedule, if Dallas is going to be a mess, if they could somehow handle Miami at home, the only game on the schedule between now and the Niners that you feel like, uh-oh, is going to the Chiefs. I mean, Miami's going to be a challenge, but the only game there you're like, uh-oh, is, is the Chiefs game. We could really be looking at a game on December 3rd for home field advantage in the NFC where the Niners are 11-0, and 10-1, the Eagles are 9-2, and 10-1, whatever it's going to be. That, like, that's going to be it. It's going to be the marquee game of the season, and it's going to decide where the NFC Championship game is played in late January. Appreciate everyone subscribing, following, listening to the podcast. What an incredible weekend, Philadelphia sports. Back tomorrow to talk, of course, about game two. Hopefully the Phillies win. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll talk tomorrow on WIP Daily.